What's going on, guys? Welcome back into the Fortress of Comictude podcast. My name is Tyler. Hi, Mary. We are joined today by two very special guests. We got David and Drew here that are going to tell us about their their uh, current miniseries that's going on from IDW Canto. If you haven't heard of it, you probably haven't been following the uh, the comics world too much lately because it's been uh, a pretty hot book. So, uh, David, Drew, thanks for joining the show, guys. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So... Uh, before we get into Canto and everything, because th- there's definitely some stuff I want to ask you guys about the book. Because uh, I mean, first off, I-, I love it, and I think Mary enjoyed it as well. Yes, I loved it. <laughs> oh, thank you. But uh, usually, everybody that we have on here the first time, we do what we call comic book secret origins, which is basically just kind of a brief, kind of a a personal thing of how did you get into comics, either as a kid or a teenager and stuff, and. Uh, what were some of the early stuff that you kind of read? So, David, I'm going to hand it off to you first. And what's kind of your your comic book origin, sir? Oh, man. So I really tripped into the radioactive goo much later in life. <laughs> so um, I came into comics. I was, I was a really a huge uh, horror reader. I remember reading um, Stephen King much earlier than I probably should have been or was appropriate for my age group. But <laughs> here we are. Um, and I didn't, you know, I, I, my earliest memories of sort of visual storytelling, I guess, would be um, Mad Magazine, which is kind of apt now since they're sort of shuttering their, their original content now. I was going to say, that's topical. <laughs> I know, right? But I remember going to, um, my dad had a really close friend who lived um, a few towns over and we used to go over to his house during the summer and he just had stacks of these Mad Magazines. And I just remember we could never... The fold-in, if anybody is familiar with Mad Magazine, you know, the fold-in in the back. And I remember that one, the cardinal sin was actually putting creases to fold that thing in. So you had to like gently, you know, t- you know, tilt it in a way that you could see what the picture was, but you can't crease it. So I was like, ten, you know, 10 years old and I'm doing that. But I came into comics um, probably about 12 years ago when I started going to San Diego Comic-Con in earnest. Um, and believe it or not, the very first real introduction to storytelling and comic form was um, Lock and Key. Yes. From IDW. <laughs> and it's my, it's my, um, it's probably one of my favorites, if not the my favorite um, comics series of all time. We could it's agree definitely more. my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think Drew just uh, totally agrees with me, and we yep. use it as inspiration. But for me, the reason why I think I think back now, you know, ten years ago when I first read it, and I just think it did something different in comics that I hadn't seen before. It told a story that I didn't know could even be told in comics, and it sort of opened up this whole new world for me. And I've just never looked back. And here we are making them. That's insane, Drew. How's you? How'd you get into the old uh, comic books, man? So when when I was younger, I I. My parents will tell you I I was a pain in the ass child. <laughs> I was a nightmare. Um, I didn't want to read. I didn't want to do anything like that. But I I always drew. Growing up, uh, my dad's side of the family is really artistic. My sister is too, and that was kind of the way my parents tricked me into reading was comic books. 
So I remember having a bunch of like random issues from uh, the Clone Saga, of all things. And, oh God! <laughs> uh, I, I know. And then uh, Dar- the Star Wars series, Dark Empire, was oh, a great run. always when I was younger, and I'd go into a Barnes and Noble, and I saw that it was always like, oh my God, it's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then when uh, when high school came around, it. I didn't have much desire to go to college. I had had enough of school. My parents were adamant, like, we don't care where you go to college as long as you go. And we ended up finding uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. And when I went down there, I originally, I kind of, you know, I had dabbled, I had been drawing, but I really wasn't that good. You know, it's like that old thing when you get to college, you realize everybody was the best artist that was at school. <laughs> or in their high school and then you realize oh my god i'm actually really not that good you put yourself in check a little bit oh oh yeah it, it checks your ego real fast so but i wanted to go to uh to scan for uh toy design in the kept building and when i got there it actually it just it took it takes so long to get to that portion of the program that i had started drawing again because uh, I think not until like your third year can you start really taking those classes. And at that point, I was really 100% back into comics and back into drawing. And since then, I just never really left. And it's just kind of been an ongoing development and diving deeper into that that world. I'm glad so that we could Drew, all immediately bond over lock and key. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, and Drew won't tell you this, but um, why don't you, I'm going to force him to, to say, say who else was in your class at SCAD. This is like the rock stars. Oh, uh, Donnie was there for a semester. Donnie Cates. Oh, geez. <laughs> for, for, for a um, semester, he was there. What, Philip, uh, CV? No, so the, the deal with Phil is that Phil, Jorge, Phil and Jorge were part, Morgan, all of them were graduate students mm-hmm. right after I graduated. So literally they all showed up two months after me. And the reason I ended up meeting them was because me and Phil got, uh, met each other at New York Comic Con one year through Tom Lyle. Uh, well, and Jorge you- is Jorge Corona. Yes. Who's on Middle West. Morgan and- Beam was just announced as the artist on the thing. Swamp Thing, um, DC, Ooh. YA graphic novel. Oh, that's right. So like, and then Trad Moore was uh, was with me at school. Oh man, wow, yeah, some top people, talented room <laughs> yeah. for sure. It, it, it's been uh, it has been really wild to kind of watch. Uh, uh Corinne Hell was there too. Um, it, it's been wild to watch because it's like you know when when you're in these fields in the college. Like you kind of know who who the talent is within the group, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where it's like not you know it, I think we had 180 people that were in sequential when I was there, and you can really kind of count on both hands who's going to make it, gotcha. and it it like it, as unfortunate as that is to say, it's just it's not a career where every just because you went to college means that you're getting it. That's For just sure. not the case. Yeah. It's a very um, niche kind of a club to get in. It's hard to it's hard to it, Exactly. Get in. And it, it, it takes a while. I mean, Trad was an anomaly for us that because he was drawing Luther Strode, I think right as we were getting ready to graduate. Um 
so he but we all knew trad was going to go on and be trad because he was that good when he was there but you know it it's been fun now because i think i'm about eight years removed from graduation to see you know my friends all beginning to rise to prominence and some of them not necessarily as artists or writers but a, a bunch of them ended up in editorial uh a whole bunch of them have ended up in the film and animation industry so it it's it's been it's been fun you know you mm-hmm. you build good relationships when you go to college and someone like donny case is just lighting the comic world on fire for the last couple of years yeah. so yeah i mean donny kind of i i don't really remember 100 percent what donny i remember donny being there but then donny kind of went off and did his own thing but yeah now he's come back around and just killed it yeah it seems like everything he touches turns to gold as of lately yeah <laughs> He's having a good so, run for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, good for him. So, Canto is a mini series that's coming out right now from IDW. The first uh, issue came out. Was it guys two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? I think tomorrow will be two weeks. Two okay. Weeks. Okay. Um, and immediately, Seems like an eternity. <laughs> it, it was yeah. dark. I can't believe it's only been and two weeks. We, I mean. <laughs> We were lucky enough to, you know, get tipped off by Phil and everything. I was like, guys, this is a book you're going to want to read. You know, not just because these guys are my friends, but trust me, it's it's a book you're going to want to read. It's a book and, I want to read. <laughs> and I, we were lucky enough to get one, like I mentioned earlier. This thing flew off the shelf so damn fast. What's it been for you guys to just kind of experience the, the you know, the attention the book's gotten the last couple of weeks from, you know, every comic book publishing media website and obviously different people posting their reviews and you know first issues going for like 20 30 dollars on ebay already that i've seen so like what's that been like for you guys um well (laughs) it's uh, overwhelming yes completely overwhelming so a little surreal it's totally surreal because the book we drew and i have been working on this book i looked back and the first concept art that piece that he sent to me that um of the character that became canto he sent it to me um, almost two years ago to the day of the release of the first issue. Oh, wow. So we have been working on this story and this series for two years. And, you know, before IDW came on board, it was Drew and I for, um, I want to say that was a year, almost yeah. a year by the time we signed the contract. Um, we believed in this book so much. Drew and I, that we decided we're just going to move forward with it, regardless of where it ends up landing. We're just going to keep doing it. So you, we we worked so much behind the scenes and had so much anxiety because it's we did something different. We did something we wanted to do, and we loved the story. We had no idea, and I'm I'm being completely honest with you when I say that we had no idea. We hoped it would do well, but it had no clue, and. Tuesday morning before release day, we woke up and <laughs> do you remember the Nerdist article? Yes. Yep. Of course you do. Yep. I, so, I, I, yeah. I tend to remember when I pop up on Nerdist. That's, yeah. that, that's kind of a big deal. That's so pretty had, sweet. You, well, we had good buzz and we had a good uh, advanced review. We had the preview out. We had done a trailer, an animated trailer for it. We had great quotes from a host of really respected creators. Um, we did all of that legwork. And then Tuesday, we didn't know, but um, we were working with a good friend of ours, Stephen Scott, who's a fantastic writer. 
Um, and he was helping us out with publicity. And he had sent a copy to Nerdist to review like weeks before and never heard anything back. So we thought, oh, well, we threw it into the abyss and nothing's going to happen. And then on Tuesday, before the release, Nerdist runs this article and said, here's the books to look out for this week. And um, they, they, they highlighted four books, and it was two Marvel books. I think one was War of the Realms. One was, was it Deceased? Yeah, it was Deceased. Okay, and then, Tom Taylor book. Or the DC book. And then there was another Marvel book. And then there was Kanto. And Voltron are like, wow. what? What One just of these happened? things is not like the other. What just happened? <laughs> so we're like, don't make any sudden movements. Don't knock <laughs> anything over. <laughs> what? And and so um, th- that happened on Tuesday, and we were still really nervous about it. And then we started getting the feedback on Wednesday, and we're like, holy smokes, what's what's going on? So since that time, for about a week, I basically traded my anxiety. About failure, for anxiety about success. <laughs> so, so, so it's been this roller coaster. But um, you know, we're both just so thankful that readers have connected with it in the way they have. And you know, this roll—it's a roller coaster, but it's you know, like a roller coaster. It's just a lot of fun to be on. Because you guys were I getting guess. like swarmed on on Twitter and stuff that day. I remember just seeing everybody tweeting at you guys, posting their reviews, and whether they were just you know normal readers or you know like I say comic book media review sites and stuff like that. And it w- it was really cool just to kind of watch. And I, I remember sitting there just being like, man, that must be really cool for those guys because you know you put something out there in the world and you obviously hope that it's going to do good, but you never know. And especially in comic books now, when you're competing with you know probably 60 to 80 books a week or whatever that come out and it's like you, you just never know what's going to take off if if it's going to catch anybody's eye or not to- totally yeah and i think the key for us was word of mouth so you know the reviews have been really good but i think what's really pushed pushed this book is people reading it and loving it and telling their friends you got to go out and you got to pick up this book and they tell their friends, you got to pick up this book. And then it just, be, just becomes this thing where everybody wants a copy. So it almost doesn't, uh, I don't want to say this because it sounds terrible, but it's almost um, the reviews become almost less important at that point than people who get on Twitter and just tweet out that they love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a personal message that came in the day on Thursday after it was released and it was a reader. I, I don't want to share it with you because it was kind of um, some personal details from this reader. I For didn't sure. even know. Um, but it was the book connected with him in a way that uh, he described on such a personal level that I, I mean, I never, we never fathomed that anything like that would happen. But to have somebody reach out to you and share a very personal experience that they had with the book and their own personal life and experience is, it, I mean, it's unbelievable. That actually brought me to tears. And I, and I sent it to Drew. And since the whole story about somebody not having a heart was based on Drew, he just let it roll off his back. But, based on Drew. <laughs> oh, my feelings. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
Uh, so Drew, uh, David mentioned that, you know, talking about when you had sent him the first concept art two years ago, I was curious yeah. how many, uh, redesigns and stuff did Canto go through before you settled on the one that w- was he always pretty close to this or was it a, a concept that you'd kind of tooled around with for a while? Cause I love his design, dude. It's, it's so adorable. It's, it's, He's so cute. it's, it's simplistic enough, but Oh, it's just such a kick-ass design. The first time I saw that, I was like, "Dude, that's such like a cute little like action figure or something somebody would have." Funko Pop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I Um, guess I guess how many uh, transformations did he go through, if any? I want honestly, I want to say, at the he only went through two, two. I think. Okay. Um. There. Yeah. This. This was. So I did that. The original design is much more uh steampunky and way more detailed because it was done as a one-off mm-hmm. uh, gotcha. and then when i sent it to david he he did his treatment for it and we both agreed uh we had to find a way to make canto a little cuter and a little a little easier on me to draw you know eight million times yeah <laughs> uh I, I want to say that the, the biggest thing that we went back and forth on was probably how to redesign his face a little bit so that it would convey emotion a lot better. But even that, I mean, it, it's really, you see a bit of a difference between Canto from issue one, I'd say through probably the rest of the series, only because I'm figuring him out still a little bit. But for the most part, like there was only one major, major redesign uh, that took place, and that was mainly to streamline him and make him a little more, you know, usable for a story. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think I less can... is more when you're, you know, when you're talking about detail. Because, like I said, there is a simplicity to him that I really love. Oh yeah, for sure. It's and not overly it, complex. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I don't think. It, I haven't really put out the original design yet. I I kind of want to save it for uh, the trade. Okay, uh, it'll I'm probably looking forward to that. Its, yeah, it'll make its way out there at some point. I'm sure. That'd be cool. But to see, I I love the original design, but it just when you look at it, you see you see what became Canto very much in there. It, it it's right there, but the streamlining of it was completely necessary, and I think it made it a much better design and product was that kind well, of I your can... idea or did did david kind of have notes of you know i i have an idea for him to kind of look like this or was it more of a collaboration between the two of you guys how did that kind of come out i want to say collaboration right because you, I, you went to san diego and wanted that piece to show people and me having notes that's unheard of and i know uh, right you never <laughs> um <laughs> so that that second design uh, as soon as he sent it back to me, I was 1 million percent on board. And I knew as soon as I saw it, we have to tell this little guy's story. Um, and I think maybe it was at Comic-Con of 2017, I want to say, is when I had the first original design. And I think I showed it to a couple of close friends. And I think I got the same kind of reaction, which is, holy smokes, who is this character and what is he all about? Mm-hmm. Um but for me, doing it, I, I, it really only went through two designs because I didn't, I, I don't want to be necessarily inhibiting Drew's process. And I trust him implicitly with all of the character designs. And so a lot of the things you see in the book 
we've talked about, um, like the design of the slavers, the design of the Malarex. We've sort of talked about what they should look like. Um, the Malarex is based on what? What do we say? Gorilla bear. It it was yeah. It was a gorilla. Yeah, gorilla bear. Something like that. And so that's all the sort of guidance that Drew needs. And then he comes up with these unbelievable um, d- designs. And so I never have any sort of notes when they come back to me. It, I, I'd say the Malorex was probably the thing that went through the most design work. Um, at one point, he was a lot smaller. I think he was maybe he was maybe about the size of Kanto at one point. Oh, geez. <laughs> And it, it, it just, I, I've got, I want to say like five pages worth of design work on him, but it's fun when you look at it because if you flip through all five pages, you literally see what started off as the original design and you see it progressing to what it became. Um, so you, and you literally see this thing get bigger and bigger. It's like watching its little evolution go on. So now that the now that the first issue's been out for a couple of weeks, I don't know how much is considered like spoilers or whatever. But I mean, uh, you know, for anyone that that doesn't really know, you know, Kanto obviously follows the story of this little guy that uh, he, he's he's a slave, and all these little guys are slaves, and they're all uh, had their hearts removed. I I love that idea, and I love this idea of him going on a quest to save um, the girl. Um, is there anything else I guess you guys want? Like, how, how are you guys kind of pitching it to people if they're like, "Oh, what's what's Canto about?" Sure, I, I can I can take this truth. Yeah, yeah, go for it. You you okay. got this more or less locked down. I do. So it's a Canto is a little little tin hero in search of a heart. Um, so his Canto's people are slaves, and when they're taken, their hearts are removed and replaced with clocks, and. Um, they're not allowed to have names. They're not allowed to tell stories to each other. They're not allowed to have relationships or love or anything. And they just work till their time runs out or their clocks are damaged and then they're thrown into the furnaces. Um, but Kanto has a name. He has a story and he loves a little tin girl. And so her clock gets damaged and they can't repair it. So he has to go on this big, grand adventure in his um, world he knows nothing, fantastical world he knows nothing about to find where they take their hearts to bring hers back to save her. So it's, so the, the tagline is um, part fantasy, part adventure, all hearts. <laughs> you know what it honestly kind of reminds me of? Because it, it, it feels obviously very fairy tale, right? It's, it, it feels very modern day fairy tale, but like there's, it, you guys find a way to do kind of some some darker stuff with it while keeping it an all ages story. And it, it almost reminds me of, you guys remember like, that period in like the eighties when like animated movies got dark for a little bit, like a lot of like the, like Don Bluth animated movies, like secret of mm-hmm. Nim and stuff like that. It, 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 that's, yeah. that's what it feels like. It feels very much like that. Like oh, it feels yeah. like a, a cartoon I would have seen as a kid where I'm like, that is a kid's movie, but it's also like, there's some dark stuff going on in here. <laughs> there, there is a big secret of Nim influence on, on this in terms of kind of, you know, subcon like not not on a direct level, but on a subconscious level of kind of blending this world with you know the science of it and the magic of it. Okay. So I did I per, I did research. So this is an all ages book, and I did a bunch of research on what all ages actually means out there in the world. And there's no definition, which is super helpful for us. Super. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> 
but I mean, there's some disqualifiers. You can't have any um, like swearing, for sure. Graphic gra- graphic violence and sex sex or sort of adult sexual themes, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But then you have all these books that I feel like um, a lot of criticism for um, all quote unquote all ages books is they just it's just kids books. And Drew and I set yeah. out to make this story so that all ages could enjoy it, so kids could enjoy it, and there's nothing disqualifying about it. But it's it. not a kid's book. But it's not just pandering to kids. Yeah. It's not, oh, certainly we, not. You know, and there was, we had stress. I personally had a lot of stress about, well, are these designs too scary for kids? Or what's, you know, how is this going to be received? And the feedback we've gotten is, especially from parents, is, thank you so much for creating something that we all can enjoy together. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and if we, we rely on parents in a certain, you know, to a certain degree to sort of gauge what their kids are reading and watching and that sort of thing. But for the most part, we sort of did the story we wanted to and let it go out there mm-hmm. and everybody makes their own judgments about it. I think you guys told that line very, very well. I, because like I said, there's definitely some some darker tones to it, but that's kind of what gives the story a little bit of weight. But yeah, it's definitely friendly to everybody. But like you said, it's not pandering to any the, any audience. Yeah, the the best review I I can't remember who wrote it. One one of the reviews though said that the all ages is kind of seen as like the kids' table, which is really unfortunate. And you've seen other companies try and try and try to break this all ages mold. But it ultimately, when you go and read a lot of these books, it, it, it panders and it does feel like it's, you know, the kids table of the books mm-hmm. when in reality it's, you know, kids don't want to be pandered to. You have to, you have to trust that, you know, for the most part, kids want to be scared a little bit and an adult can enjoy secret of NIM or ghostbusters or any number of things as much as a little kid can, you know, they just interpret it a little bit differently. You're obviously not going to sit, you know, a four-year-old down to watch Alien. Yeah, uh, unless hopefully you're, not. Unless you're a really good parent, uh, <laughs> but you know, like the 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 edict I laid down with David was that I wanted to go for like how Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles were for me. I saw those movies when I was very young, and my understanding and my interpretation of those movies are very different from what they are at seven from what they are at 13, oh, from what they sure. are at even 15, from what they are at 20, from what they are at 30. That, that's what we wanted to hit. We wanted a, somebody who is, you know, maybe 10 now and reading this book with their parents or just reading it on their own to be able to come back to it in, you know, 10, 15 years when they have a kid and be like, oh, I enjoy this just as much. I just, I understand it a little bit differently. Yeah, it, it doesn't talk down to its audience at all. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say there's something in, in the way the story sort of unfolds in these six issues is it's, you know, it's kind of it skews darker in the first issue. And then we get a bit a little bit lighter as we go as Kanto goes on his adventure. And then we get back to the more serious um, parts of it as he sort of finds out some truths about his world. So you'll see when you read issues two and three and four that we've we've um, sort of made it we've mixed it up a little bit so that it is it does it doesn't get so heavy through the whole story that you just sort of get exhausted reading it. Yeah. Um, so, and and we're really hoping that that um, 
you know, draws the readers in to continue on with the story, knowing that there is going to be an ending, but we're enjoying the ride sort of getting there. Definitely. So you guys have this idea for this book and you guys are passionate about it and everything. Where does IDW get involved? Do you guys, was that where you guys wanted to take it originally or would, did you kind of shop it around a couple different places or what was kind of your guys' thinking on that? I marched myself right into IDW's <laughs> office and dropped it on their desk. <laughs> Said you guys are going to publish this. <laughs> then after Drew bailed me out of jail. <laughs> um, no, so... so um, I personally had this goal, even before Canto came about, that I was—I didn't want to throw any pitch into the abyss of publishers and just hope for the best. Uh, so I really tried to get to know editors and get to be friendly with, uh, you know, other other people in the industry, other creators, to have this opportunity to, once Canto is ready, to really target target uh, submissions. Uh, so by the time we had a pitch document together, which was this cool formatted um, document, that, little book, it looked like a little fairy tale book with parchment pages and um, had sample colored lettered pages for the that became the first six pages of the first issue. Um, we put that together, and then I had a few places that I really wanted to target. And the way we got into IDW was that a good friend of ours. Ben Bishop, who is a fantastic artist himself, who's going to be doing a retailer incentive cover for us for issue five. Is that right? Five. And then um, he has been drawing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for IDW. And I reached out to him and he really connected with this, the pitch and said, well, send it to this person at IDW. And so I did. Um, and to pull the curtain back, a little Wizard of Oz reference. So I send it to this person, this editor, who's really nice about it. And he said, well, I'll send it to the committee. And you hear the music in the background go, dun, 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 <laughs> as soon as he says committee. So I'm like, okay, well, all my legwork means that I'm in the, we're in the pile with everybody else. Um, and... We got this email, how many months, Drew, after we submitted it? Three? Three months. That, I remember because we had gotten a bunch of no's at that point. Uh, and we were, I remember us getting a little, a little antsy too at that point. And then IDW came along and they were, they were big fans from the get-go. Um, and I think what was, you know, it's funny now I think the reason Kinto is is connecting with people is because it's so different. But you know, pitching it, it's kind of like all the editors look at it and say, it's kind of different from anything that we've seen, and I'm not sure. And mm -hmm. IDW somehow thought about, you know, looked at it and said, this is something that will fit with what we want to do. Yeah. And so we were waiting for three months. We were actually in discussions with another publisher, and IDW came in. And we decided that IDW is the best home for it. And, um, you know, from there, it was off to the races. They've been fantastic. Our yeah. editor, David Marriott, has been um, a wonderful you know, steward of the ship. <laughs> and he's really given us a lot of freedom to do what we think is best. And, you know, that's scary, too. You know, it's sink or swim <laughs> if we're left to our own devices. But so far, so good. <laughs> 
<laughs> IDW really deserves a lot of credit for being willing to take this on because it's it's not like David said it's not like a lot of other books that are out there right now it's easy to just want to you know compete with all the other horses that are on the track and just do the same thing and IDW looked at this and went you know this is something that we want to be involved with it's you know you go back through their catalog even I'm not 100% sure there's anything that really looks like Canto that they've done so for them to look at this and go yeah no we'll take a chance on it you know among all the hundreds of pitches that they get in a year is you know they they really they do deserve quite a bit of credit for being brave enough to do that i think it's paid off for them though they're probably not regretting it too much i don't think with just the attention the first issue got yeah Yeah, no they've been pretty happy i would i would (laughs) hope so i'm actually glad to see them publishing uh canto as well because i mean like i mean we mentioned lock and key earlier but i mean outside of a lot of that stuff to me idw in recent years has kind of become more of like a lot of where the licensed stuff goes, I mean, which is not a problem. I, I love that the Turtles series they've done. They do Transformers. They do Sonic. They do GI Joe. You know, what I mean, they they do. I've we've made the joke in the shop that they should just rename themselves like Nostalgia Comics or something. <laughs> it's like here's all the things that you liked as a kid that were just you know. But it is good to see them publishing an original Outside idea like Canto. Yeah. yeah. So I, well, I so they have uh, they've had a series of creator owned books that have come out this year. And they've done really well. And so I think IDW has, I think they made it. I don't have any, you know, uh, behind the scenes information for any of this, but this is sort of what I'm seeing in the market. I think they made a choice last year to do these creator owns starting this year, because that's just how long comics take to, um, you know, get to the market. And I think the first couple that they um, put out really were successful. And, um, and each one that comes along sort of feeds into that narrative of, oh, IDW is doing something interesting and creator-owned. Um, so, I mean, I hope that the success of Canto really spurs other creators to go to IDW with their creator-owned books and um, take a chance on IDW, just like IDW's taking a chance on us. Um, because, you know, creator-owns, it's uh, image, dark horse, boom at the in idw sort of at that tier and then you've got the indie sort of the vault comics and black mask and these other other places um but if you're a creator and you want to get to that level with a creator on book you really just we're looking at image and if image passed you could you would go to dark horse and boom but if you don't get hits there that's sort of it yeah and to have a new um potential quote unquote buyer or publisher for a creator owned book is really exciting. For sure. Was there ever a, a plan to like kickstart the book or, or fund it yourselves if you guys would have had to if if you didn't get any bites on it? Yeah, we we had talked about it. Um I I had done the house and through Kickstarter and it's Kickstarter is a fantastic route to take but it is exhausting for sure and and it is a hard it is a hard road to take i mean even 
even the house to this day is still it sells well like we i went to emerald city this year with uh with cv and it did very well but it is a very it, it's difficult because everything is a hard pitch to everybody mm -hmm. you have to make that full pitch every time by the sheer nature that you don't have access to you know diamond or uh, promotion or all, or any of those other tools that you really need. So uh, we had, we had kind of said, you know, look at this, we really want to tell this story. If it came down to it, you know, how badly do we want to tell it? Kickstarter was an option, but luckily, you know, IDW came along and was able to take, you know, take us along with them and help us develop this. That's great. It's so funny. It's this series of, you know, I, th I think back with Drew and I, this this whole process and um it's so funny to think about all these little tiny choices that we made along the way that somehow we're all just it felt like in the moment it was the right thing but also looking back it's like wow if we had made this choice just a slightly differently this whole this whole thing would have been different yeah, yeah. you know had we we were almost ready to sign with another publisher and we went with idw and I just think that choice going with the other publisher, we would have had an entirely different scenario and we probably wouldn't be sitting here the way we are today without having the, the type of platform that IDW could provide yeah. to get that book, the book out there to as many readers as we can reach. Mm -hmm. So it's just funny. I think subconsciously a lot more people, like even if they don't realize they're doing it, they're much more willing to take a chance on a book if they feel like, oh, it's backed by IDW. Like, oh, like they're, you know, they they thought it was good enough to publish. I think if it's like, oh, my Kickstarter book, I think people just in their mind are like a little more leery to try it, which I mean, isn't really fair. You know, it's not to say that the content's better or worse, but I think when people see a name, they recognize like, oh, IDW published this. I feel like they go, they're a little more willing to take a chance on it. No, and, and that that's just, you know, you can't fault anyone for that. That's just brand. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, IDW is a 20-year institution at this point. They've been around a while, and they have some truly achievement-worthy books under their belt that backs up that IDW brand. You know, and, and that's that's why you sign with a company like that is because you you want to be able to associate with that brand. Right. And the key at the stage of when you're putting out a creator owned book is you, of course, want to make sure readers connect with it. But the absolute key right out of the gate is having retailers mm -hmm. being willing to take the chance to stock your book on the limited shelf space they have. And any tiny, tiny little thing that you can do to reassure retailers that it's not going to sit on the shelf for, you know, a month after they order it. Mm -hmm. Whether that's you know artists, colors, letters, cover choices, the publisher, anything that you can do to, to design a package that a retailer can go, yeah, I think I can sell this in my shop, is really the goal when you're first putting a book out there. It, um, especially when you don't, when you're relatively unknown creators with a brand new property. Yeah, definitely. So why do you guys feel like, I mean, you've brought up a couple of times just in the conversation, you know, this is a story we really wanted to tell. I want to get to kind of the bottom of that. What is it about, I mean, with obviously without spoiling the issues to come, but what is it about Canto that you guys felt so strongly about it that this is something we have to do? 
Well, for me, it was as soon as I saw the visual, the design of this character, I thought if I were to, <clears throat> I've become really fatigued with comics because I feel like they all, of course, they're different stories and different creators and different artists and they do look different, but they still, they feel very much the same. I think we're getting into this rut of dystopian sci-fi or really gritty horror or just, you know, a violent fantasy and that sort of thing. And they all feel like this is another of the same thing. And when I saw the character, I thought, this is something different. This is something new. This is something I could really get behind. And if I want, this is a book that if I wasn't writing it and why I wasn't involved with it, I would go to my shop and get a copy. So right out of the gate, when Drew sent me the art, I was just, yes, this is something that I want to do. Um, so that's really what drew me to doing this. And then I wanted to, and I think Drew agrees with me, as the story evolved, I wanted to make a story about a character, a hero who is going out there to save for, for a reason that's not for himself, but for somebody else. So to have this totally selfless journey where he uh, risks his life to save someone else. And that just, that resonates with me so much. And I thought, a story about hope, about somebody who's doing something that we never, we, we rarely see in the world. Totally someone selfless who is like that. truly, he's truly selfless, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you see in the first issue, he doesn't, he opens his chest plate and says, take my clock and give it to her. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. I was like, he's willing to just give it up right there. Yeah. yeah. And I hate to, and I hate to <laughs> do the, you know, writer's commentary behind that page, but we've definitely specifically, you know, included that moment to show this is who this character is. He's going to do whatever it takes because he thinks there's value to doing some, you know, a selfless act. He's very pure. Yeah, he's a very pure kind of naive character, but yeah, very hopeful, inspiring. Very as well. hopeful, yeah. and you know what? It's um, I will tell you that it's a coming of age story. Even though he's an adult, it's a coming mm-hmm. of age story. So by the end, he will have a new understanding about the world and his his own sort of um, his own experience. There's a, there's a line we just finished. Um, we just put, uh, we're sending issue four to the printer. And so we just have been working with that issue. And there's a line in there that I just, it so resonates with, with I think, who Kanto is when he starts versus who he is when he ends. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. That I hope readers see that sort of transformation of him from, you know, this hopeful, naive and hopeful little guy to, Somebody who understands the world better still holds on to that hope, but understands the world a little bit better. I'm going to reach out to you when that issue comes out. Like, was it this one? Yeah. Was it this? <laughs> you're going to yell. You're going to cry. You're going to yell at me. Uh. <laughs> I probably will. I get too invested in, in, no, in I media. I don't want to scare people. It's exactly, <laughs> ask Drew. I think it's exactly the right ending. Yeah. No, it, I, I, I just posted it on Twitter. I got to read the, uh, read the issue with the finished letters and it's like I can't believe this is my book. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. Drew, same question to you. What is it about Kanto that you just, you know, you feel so strongly about that I, I needed to be involved in this book? Um so I've been extremely fortunate for the last two projects that I've done that 
both of these projects have kind of started with me on my own where they've started with my initial idea and I've had a pretty good idea of where to go with it. And then I've had two writers that have come in and I give them the basic pitch and they run off with it and just come back with, you know, this completed package. Uh, CV did it on the house and David did the same thing here. So for me, it's, you know, because these projects kind of start off as, as my personal babies, it's very easy for me to be passionate about it and to want to be a hundred percent in all the way, especially when I start getting scripts and the scripts are as good as they've been. Um, the other end of it is that I, after the house, I was really burned out on doing, uh, drawing people and drawing anything that involved a ton of reference. <laughs> I needed a break. It turns out drawing World War II is hard. Uh, I so imagine. I was like, I, I want to draw stuff. I hope we're on a, I was going to say, I hope we're on a panel 10 years from now, and that's what you tell them. Yeah. The only reason Canto exists is because I was I, sick I, of I, drawing people. Yep. <laughs> so, well, so I, ironically, I wanted to just draw stuff from my head. I wanted to flex my imagination muscles. And so we started the book, and I realized uh, I, when it's, hey, you need to draw rocks. Okay. And I started drawing rocks and went, I don't know what rocks look like, and now I have to look up everything. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, but, you know, the, it's, it's easy to be really passionate about these projects because, like I said, the, these are projects that have started with me on my own. And then when I'm lucky enough to have other creators come in that are as good as the ones that have, you know, it gets really exciting to see what they bring to the table. And then, you know, I, you read these scripts and it's like, oh, I want to draw this. You know, I, I'm I'm a storyteller, if nothing else. And, you know, it's, these are stories I want to tell. And this is the kind of stuff I want to see in the industry, you know, j not just from a consumer point of view, but to help the industry kind of grow and move forward. Definitely. So without, you know, obviously spoiling anything too much of the ending, is is there a plan or a door open to do any more with Canto after this series is wrapped up? Or do you guys kind of have it said that this is going to be kind of a one and done story? Um, definitely there. We There's would like more. to take it further. Cool. That'd so be you'll great. see well, you'll see when you re when you read issue six, there's definitely a moment, a little scene in there where. I mean, all of issue six leaves open um, the door. We have a very specific idea of what the next story arc is going to look like. Um, and I think there is at least, I'll say it, there's at least one more, if not two more story arcs from that. So it's like this, this bigger, broader story. If you think of like Lord of the Rings and how that cycle goes, mm -hmm. it's very... It's very, um, it's the similar type of framework oh, for that. Okay. Cool. I mean, I guess that'll just probably come down to you guys and IDW and how well the series sells as a whole and the trade and everything else. And hopefully you guys get to do more. Hope so. And all of your e uh, listeners emailing IDW directly and asking them for a next arc. For yeah, sure. Right. Listeners. And tell them we want a nice, we want a big oversized hardcover of the trade as uh, well. Yes. well. Beautiful gold gilded hardcover. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, San Diego Comic-Con 2020 exclusive with a uh, <laughs> limited edition 
Canto Funko Pop. Is that too specific? Had you thought about this a lot already? <laughs> you, okay, you heard it, listeners. Get on it. <laughs> Dude, IDW does some of like the nicest hardcovers out there, though. They really do. I love. I mean, just the quality of the books themselves. I love the books they put out. Good. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all you know. It's it's. I feel like it's economics. It's an economic decision. So the more people who are talking about Canto, the um, more likely it is that we'll get to uh, explore those opportunities. So we just really appreciate everybody who's come on board with this first issue. And if you stick with us, I promise you, you'll we'll, um, we will hopefully stick the landing. It, I think we have. It, it gets even better. I, I've kind of like jokingly told David that um, one of the one of the complaints I've seen in some of the reviews is that oh well you know this just kind of does a lot of what other fantasy things other fantasy stories have done and it's kind of like you know well yeah but this is also the first issue of an entire story um if you like what we did with issue one once we're past issue one we're into much more the meat of the story of what we're trying to do with canto and it just it kind of keeps getting better and better definitely well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you guys that that we are definitely in, um, and so we'll we'll do everything we can to try to make sure we get everybody else. And before we let you guys get out of here, um, I guess David will ask you first, and we'll head off to Drew. Uh, where can people kind of follow you on social media? And then, do you guys have any? I mean, I know San Diego is the big one, but any other appearances and signings and stuff coming up that you guys want to let people know about? Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at David Boer. And Instagram uh, uh, at David M. Boer, um, because David Boer was already taken. The Jerks. bastard. Yeah. Um, there yeah. are a lot of David Boers, as it turns out, because when I go to tag him, I get like 10 hits for other David Boers. Yes, so, and some, some poor guys get in a lot of tags for Canto right now. He's like, what the hell I is this I actually have book? thought about just tagging them randomly and seeing what happens. <laughs> <laughs> this, poor, this poor people. Um <laughs> And yes, we'll be at San Diego Comic-Con and there is a um, comic uh, convention exclusive Canto number one cover that IDW uh, ha- will have at the show that Drew um, did the art for and our colorist Vittorio Estoni did the colors for. And it's an homage to a um, huge sci-fi franchise that I won't um, name specifically, but it's about those wars that happen like in the stars, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I well say, done. Well done. I can't say the name. Um, so we'll have uh, that cover there. And then we're both going to be at New York Comic Con in October uh, with some um, exciting things already in the works for that. So we'll have to keep you posted on social media. All right, Drew, you as well. Where can people kind of find you on the internet, as they say? On Twitter, I am Drew low dash zucker at twitter uh and on instagram i am i don't know even what my instagram handle is uh drew zucker art, art. you got drew zucker <laughs> art and my website is art of and i will be signing june 17th at all yeah comics in new york july uh, 17th July 17th. I don't even know what month it is. You should just go back to drawing pages, Drew. <laughs> uh, July 17th, I'll be at All Yeah Comics. Uh, the plan is for July 24th. I'll be at Forbidden Planet 
uh, in New York City, but uh, we're working on times for that. I, I have to confirm it. And then we'll both, me and David will both be at San Diego uh, signing on Thursday and Sunday. It's Friday. Yeah, Friday and Sunday. Friday and Sunday. So our Friday. signing times at the IDW booth for San Diego are Friday from um, 3 to 4 and then Sunday from 2 to 3. Um, and one other thing I'll add is Canto actually has his own Instagram account. So it's at Canto Comic. Does he really? <gasps> Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. I mean, it's re- it's promotional. It's promotional for the most part. He doesn't actually. It's not from his point of view. Although it'd be kind of fun. That'd be we that'd be so fun. Oh yes. Look, I'll tell I'll tell you what. Once oh my god, if girl, we did, I'm just gonna start drawing Canto doing like day to day things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like please. selfie. Like a super posed. Canto waters the lawn. Canto yes. Canto takes a shower and rust. Well, he needs like a he needs like a journal, right? Through his through yeah. his story, where he can kind of you know. Canto goes to Home Depot and buys. <laughs> Canto watering one little flower so it doesn't wilt. Oh my goodness! And now David's going to make me draw that for him. <laughs> He's like, I've seen that look in his eye See, before. It's two years, and he just reads my mind. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. We are not going to San Diego, but we definitely no, need to uh we definitely need to get one of those those canto cut. We have people that are going. Maybe we can have somebody bring one back for us. Yeah. Or, can you please if they do come to the table during our signing, please have them tell us who they are and that if they're getting it for you guys so we can we can sign it to you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Unless then, you want us to make it out to eBay and then that's yeah. okay. To too. eBay. No. No, no, no. No, no to eBay. Little E, big B, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully we can get our hands on one of those because I, I, I'm very, very enticed by that. I love yeah. I love con exclusive covers. Yeah, and Drew and Vittorio just completely killed this cover. So it, the reaction has been really exciting for it. Cool, man. I, I, I want to say before I let you guys go, I... I adore this book already. It, it seems like, I mean, we have two kids. This seems like one of those things that I can sit down with a trade and read to them at some point. Yeah. I love the world you guys are building. Drew, I think the whole book looks phenomenal. I love Beautiful. all of it. I, I just love everything you guys have set up in this first issue. I can't wait to see where it goes. And I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to come down and, and talk about a little Tin Man with us for an hour. Thank you guys for having us. This has been great. So make sure you guys are, are checking those guys out on social media. That way you guys can follow Canto. We'll probably try to post your guys' socials in our in our uh, description as well. But uh, I believe issue two comes out on the 24th, correct? Yes, with a little asterisk. It may be um, slightly in flux, but yes. So um, listeners, uh, uh July 24th and follow us on the socials. We'll let you know if that changes. Okay. And then there's also I, I the second print of the first issue that should be coming out the same day, if I'm correct. That's right. So we're going to have the second print of the first issue on shelves as well as the issue two um, at the same time. So you can actually start the story and keep going with the story right there. So go out, buy this book, guys, support it, read it. It's a, it's a ton of fun. It has a lot of heart in it which is you know like i guess you mentioned really a little ironic um <laughs> puns. the puns that's that that's, that's the whole naming of the podcast man i'm a big superman fan and i love puns so i was like fortress of comic dude is almost dumb enough to be clever um, <laughs> you nailed it nailed Perfect. it 
love Superman and bad puns. And when you put those things together, you get us. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, guys, thanks again so much, man. And uh, we'll be, you know, keep in contact with you. And I, like I said, I look forward to, to, to seeing where it goes from here and just, you know, thanks for putting this out in the world. I think like, like you said, there's not a lot of books out there like this and we kind of needed it. God, thank you guys for uh, reading it and letting us come on and ramble on about this uh, <laughs> book that we love, that we love. Yeah, well, that about does it for us here, guys. Make sure you guys are following them and following us on social media as well. Um, you know, which we're at Fortress of Comicitude on on Facebook and FOC underscore podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, go buy Canto, support support books, man. Especially good ones like this is a good one you can sit down and read with your kids, which is a plus because there's not a whole lot of that stuff out there anymore. So, yeah. uh, until next time, my name is Tyler. I'm Mary, and uh, peace out, guys. Good